The St Albans Film Guide with Simon Carver, hosted by Danny Smith. Welcome on to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide. Uh, our very own uh, film guide himself, Simon Carver, is uh, here with us in our virtual studio again. Hello, Simon. Yeah, hi, Danny. Hello. Uh, so, um, what we're going to do is we will look at Simon's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week, and uh, and we're throwing some of my choices as well for the moment. But uh, before that, we're going to look at uh, new releases on the, the streaming services, and there's just one we're talking about this week, which is on Netflix. Hmm. Yeah, we, we couldn't really find very much going on this week. I mean, obviously on Netflix and Prime, you, you tend to get series as well as uh, or, or an old films, but this was the only new film that I thought was remotely worth mentioning. Um, it's German with English subtitles, which makes it sound sort of quite exciting and perhaps a bit edgy. But then when you see the synopsis uh, of this film, Into the Beat, it sounds like umpteen other films that you've seen before or, or probably not seen you've probably avoided them but anyway this is the synopsis a team ballerina discovers hip hop by chance and is faced with an impossible choice does she follow her parents footsteps or her newfound passion so um, yeah I think we've, we've seen we've seen this one or heard of this one before haven't we this idea of, uh, of uh, ballet dancer um, getting hot and heavy with hip-hop artists and you know doing both or deciding to do one and not the other or both all the hip-hoppers turning to ballet and you know in various different ways it's been done but as it was the only one i thought worth mentioning i've mentioned yeah it. no okay fair enough but it's no endorsement <laughs> i'm not endorsing it at all no okay so yes yeah, so some weeks the, the the streaming services have more than one um uh, new movie coming out um but then other weeks they don't have any um and amazon prime have got nothing this week although there's one next week and one the week after big one in a fortnight's time um but uh but yeah uh, so this, this is the offering for this week into the beat um so yeah i mean it does not that this is any reflection one way or the other but it does sound like it's been done a hundred times before doesn't it um it does uh yeah does she follow her parents footsteps or her newfound passion that that that's there's hundreds maybe thousands of films that have Mm. a similar sort of premise um but 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 this one's about ballerina and hip-hop and 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 perhaps that they have more in common than people think maybe that's yeah there's more common ground maybe they do yes Um, I was just looking at the films that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> next week's one is um, looks. I mean, I, I know nothing about these at all. I'm just looking at the titles. Next week's one is called Chick Fight. Yeah, I've already made um, made conclusions on that, and I've known nothing more than the title yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like this. It's probably the sort of the sequel to Chicken Run, is it, or something. So. And and the following week, it's Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. Now. That that's fine if you when you when you read it, but um, it also sounds a bit like a judgment on Tom Clancy. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. I, I mean, he's quite. I, I'm sure he's quite a reasonable bloke. I mean, to, to accuse him of being without remorse, I think is harsh, yeah. quite frankly. Um, and they might have thought of a different title to that film. Yeah. There you go. Uh, although that one is is a film that has been in development for, I believe, nearly 20 years. And o- over the time, it's been announced as several different um, actors taking on the role. And um, with this, this iteration of it, it is uh, Michael B. Jordan. And uh, it's, I think this is one of those films that if it weren't for the pandemic, this would have had a big box office um, 
um, mm. launch for it. But but as it is, they've put it they've put it on Amazon. But it. He's pretty hot at the moment, isn't he, yeah, Michael B. Yeah. Jordan? Yeah, and, and and I think rightly so. I think he's a, he's a good actor. He, he he's been he's shown that he can. He's more than just you know muscles in a in boxing gloves from the Creed films. So, you know he can he can mm. do stuff with substance as well. Um, but but yeah, the the character he's playing in in Without Remorse is, is called Mister Clark, who was a, a shadowy figure in the Jack Ryan universe and in those books. And without remorse was the origin story, all about how he became Mr. Clark, this this mysterious CIA operative. Um, and okay. and given that um, Amazon Prime are, are currently have the, um, the the Jack Ryan TV series, you know it, it cannot be a coincidence that that um, that this is ended up on their platform. So that could that could excite fans of Tom Clancy's universe that that there may be you know, collaborations or crossovers or something. Because um, in the books there were they they they, they, they were a lot of um, uh, you know th- these characters all appeared in the same book so it's it, uh, who knows but anyway that's a few weeks time and we'll talk mm. about that later. I was going to say yes we probably ought to keep our powder yeah. dry. Well I, I know nothing more about it at this time and, but by then of course I'd have been well researched. Mm. Anyway uh, yeah so that's that's your, your your one new release on the streaming service uh, it's on Netflix into the beat and it comes out on uh, Friday the 16th of April which may well be today if when you listen to this podcast uh, if you listen to it on the day we bring it out but we'll have more from um, Simon uh, in just a moment Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for the St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Welcome along to the second part of uh, this week's uh, film guide and this is where we look at um, our choices of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. And we start off with Friday the 16th of April and Simon has chosen on 5 star at 9pm Braveheart. Yeah, my first five films this week are all films that almost everybody, I think, would have seen. Um, But, you know, there's no reason not to choose them, I guess. But um, they're all terrific films, uh, in my opinion. I think in your opinion, too, probably, Danny, and anybody um, watching. The first is Braveheart. um, uh, Mel Gibson directs and stars in this story of the 13th century Scottish revolt against English tyranny. Um, it, uh, he stars as William Wallace. As he's, he's compared in my notes here to Mad Max, um, which is obviously also a, another Mel Gibson yep. part. Not a massive stretch, uh, is it, when comparisons come Not up. really, no. no. I mean, he's got his accent uh, varies between uh, Scots and Irish a bit in this, but... You know, who knows how they talked in those days. Um, uh, Sophie Morceau is there and Patrick McGowan plays uh, King Edward, uh, Edward Longshanks. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a terrific film. Battle scenes, great. Uh, it, it was said to be one of the inspirations behind the 
uh, vote for Scottish independence. Uh, I mean, not that that quite succeeded, but I bet next time that vote comes around, they'll be playing this in the weeks before um, because it's it, it sort of, you know, they may take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom sort of thing is, um, is a classic line and it will... It will stir the Scots up to rebellion once again, ungrateful rebellion against the English <laughs> for all we've done for them. Yes. Um, I'm not sure you could get away with saying that in your own household, can you? Yeah, probably. Well, maybe not. As long as Mrs. Carver's not listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, I mean, the film, yeah, it's an absolute undeniable classic. It won five Oscars. Some say it should have won more than that. Um, you know, a, a directorial tour de force from from Mel Gibson, and 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 yeah, the, your, your notes here sort of uh, draw draw comparisons between this and um, Henry V, and it says about Lawrence Olivier's Henry V, but also I thought Kenneth Branagh's somewhat as well because his was quite. A I good think film. Kenneth Branagh's Henry V is brilliant. Um, Lawrence Olivier's one is very stagey, um, whereas Branagh's one is it, it, it is more more of a film, and I think yeah, I don't think. It's an excellent film, and he Branagh brings it to life. And I, I suppose you could, well, obviously, with Olivier's Henry V was the same, you know, an actor director, and uh, as, as was Branagh's. As was Branagh's, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, this is obviously not taken from uh, a, a stage play, so it is a little different in that respect. But yeah, in, in the in the way it brings history to life and the. the vividness of it and all that sort of stuff is yeah yeah and um, excellent and for those who are interested um yeah it won best picture at the oscars um and it won best director so um you know mel walked off because I, I remember there's a picture of him i think he's wearing a tartan waistcoat underneath his tux holding both of his oscars um you know that looking most jubilant um but but this this really was when he was at the top of his game and and to show that he was so much more than just doing you know lethal weapon or mad max which which was sort of considered to be somewhat mindless action movies um, that, that you know he, he also had had um, some some you know uh, real talent there for, for filmmaking uh, and and he's he's it wasn't even his I don't think it was his first film I think he directed another film there was a film I think it was called Man Without a Face and it was about a guy who was quite horribly disfigured on one side of his face and he was something of a recluse and he befriends a boy in a in the town where they are. Okay, okay. I don't, I don't know that. But it was quite um, a, um, a bit niche, was it? It, it wasn't. The, it wasn't as big a film as, as this was. Um, yeah, Man Without the Man Without a Face from two years before, nineteen ninety three. It, it was a big hit because Mel Gibson was, you know, probably the top of like, you know, the A list of, of, of Hollywood actors at the time. Um, but yeah, he directed and starred in in, in that film. Um, uh, but but yeah he, he um, yeah he makes friends with this yeah th- this guy who's like quite horribly disfigured and no one else likes and yeah it, but it was quite quite a poignant drama um, but yeah th- th- this was his second film Braveheart and uh, and what a what a second film but mm. but yeah so that's um, 9 p.m. on Five Star on Friday the 16th of April. Uh, now I've chosen a film that uh, I, I think is is equally a classic. Um, it, it, I'm sure it didn't do as well in the Oscars, but but it was out um, just a couple of years earlier, and it's the Clint Eastwood film In the Line of Fire. Um, 
I think there's a danger that I picked this one a lot, but there wasn't a lot else on after you picked Braveheart. Um, but also, this is, in my mind, uh, an absolute classic. I think it's, in its sort of genre, I would say it's it's almost the perfect film. I think every everything about it is is, is wonderfully done. You know, amazing cast. Um, and, you know, Clint Eastwood showing how um you know how he has a range that he doesn't often get a chance to show i think up to this point he didn't very often i think some of his films he had done subsequently he mm-hmm. had demonstrated his his abilities as an actor but but in this i thought he really showed a, a degree of range um, so the story, uh, if you didn't know it, um, an aging Secret Service agent, uh, tormented by his failure to save the life of John F. Kennedy in 1963, is drawn into a battle of wits with a sinister CIA-trained assassin out to kill the current president. As the day of reckoning draws closer, the agent's nerves are tested to the limit and nothing seems to be going his way. Uh, starring Clint Eastwood, John Malkovich, who was absolutely chilling and and, and very chameleon-like as, as this... Um, as this assassin who was who was after the, the the president and and the way that you saw him with lots of different disguises um, throughout the movie and the way he was able to sort of infiltrate security to get into places mm. and 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 you know was such a, a, a formidable opponent for for Clint Eastwood's sort of dogged um, aging Secret Service agent and then uh, you had Rennie Russo in there as well and and arguably one of her finest performances uh, as as a, a younger, um, fresher um, Secret Service agent. Um, and, and yet the, the, the directing of it as well, Wolfgang Peterson did a, did a wonderful job. The tension just doesn't stop. And, um, it, you know, so many thrilling sequences in it. Um, and yeah, it got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for John Malkovich at the Oscars. Um, um, and, and yeah, probably deserved a bit more than that because, yeah, cracking film. And it was the first film in... I think in over 30 years uh, that um, Clint Eastwood had no part in other than being the actor. He didn't right. produce it. It wasn't his, mm-hmm. it it wasn't um, Warner Brothers who he's had a pretty much an exclusive deal with for the whole of his um, cinematic career. Um, you know, but, but it, um, I remembered hearing him in an interview saying that he was so drawn by the, the story that he was determined to, uh, to, 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 to be in this film. He, he, you know, no matter what. So, he, um, you know, went across to, I think it was Paramount to make this one picture because they were the ones who had the movie and he was just desperate to star in it. And I believe they wanted to make it a long time earlier, but he felt that he wasn't old enough to play the character and said that he would do it if it, mm. if it could be done so many years later. So so he was, he was more age appropriate. Um, but uh, anyway, that's uh, In the Line of Fire, a, a, a wonderful... Um, uh, you know, a wonderful action thriller um, with uh, Clint Eastwood and Co. That's I had, I had a feeling that there were several films on uh, on Friday that uh, you you would have chosen. So I was surprised that you say there wasn't. I'd, I'd picked. Oh, I think there were, but I think that those films are also on later in the week. And oh, later okay. in the week, there wasn't an awful lot of options. So, and I've chosen them then. That's probably <laughs> so. So I think yes. Sorry, the yeah, Friday that they're, they're probably yes. To be fair, there probably were other good films on, but but mm. they're also repeated later in the week where there weren't yeah. so many good films. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway that's in the line of fire 9 p.m sony movies on friday the 16th of april would it, did you i mean would you i don't know how much of what i just said would you agree with did you rate yeah i think film? it's very good and it's a good you know it's a good action film um and it, it yeah there's it's a bit more to it than than just an action film because you've got this um you know the the reason why he is as he is clint eastwood you know so um clint eastwood's character rather so yeah no i think it's it's uh yeah and he's a he's a good actor yeah and, and it's- i mean said that i've been watching the mule have you seen the mule oh yeah <laughs> <sighs> I, yeah i just He's quite old and doddery in that, but but you sort of he wonder is. how much of that is him and how much of that is his character because he's playing somebody who's old and doddery. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I suppose partly. Yeah, so I, I won't go off on one on this, but partly because it's a true story, and I couldn't stop myself from looking up. You know what happened in the story, right? And I think that probably spoiled it a bit but so it was it was my own fault I guess but uh, yeah I couldn't be bothered to watch it through to the end when I knew what happened in the person's real story but yeah there you go anyway that's another film yeah. so I did quite enjoy The Mule but but there was a few bits that I thought were a bit uncomfortable not not least the um uh the, the, like the, well the fact that there's a couple of like sort of love scenes well, you know, shall we say you know and, and that was somewhat uncomfortable to see a, a man of that age with, with some very young women um, mm. you know it, it, it was all what women bit... in their 60s no 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 and he's <laughs> in his 90s no, do you not remember there was one scene where no where... I don't actually oh dear but maybe that's after I stopped watching oh do you not watch all of it no oh okay well, yet, yet another film I gave up on oh no no, there's one bit where he's he's given really as a gift for, by by one of the, the head. He goes to see um, the head of the drug cartel, and mm. and he's entertained there. And as a, as a gift one evening, he's given two young women. Um, and uh, you don't see an awful lot, but but nonetheless, it's still quite disturbing. Yeah, yeah, because mm. these women who are probably in their thirties, and he's yeah about ninety. Um, and uh, you can imagine he had a fun day at work doing that scene. Um, but uh, anyway. Yeah, but that's not the film we're talking about. Um, no. And that's, to date, is his last movie on screen, The Mule. Um, although, apparently, he has got one coming out this year called uh, Cry Macho, which is okay. some sort of Western, it says, but it looks... I can see cars in this thing, so it's some sort of modern-day Western, maybe? With Dwight Yoakam, isn't he a country singer? He is. Mm. There you go, it's out later this year, anyway. Okay. All right, let's move on, though, to Saturday, because you've chosen another classic movie. Um, yeah. And I think I have as well. I mean, those first two, they don't really stand up against one another because Braveheart is probably better in many different measurable ways to, to in the line of fire. But, but nonetheless, I think they're classics in their own right. And I think the next two are not only classics in their own right, but also from a very similar era as well as the last two were. Okay. So your film that okay. you've chosen, 11.05 on ITV, is Jaws. It is. Um, Peter Benchley wrote a, a best-selling book, and I think probably it's fair to say that Steven Spielberg turned it into uh, something better. Uh, it is it's one of the scariest films that I think I've ever seen, really. It's not scary as in, um, you know, one of these things where dolls come to life or clowns do things yeah there's nothing supernatural about about it is there nothing supernatural about it it's just there's a blooming big fish that's trying to eat people 
Um, and yeah, lovely performances. You've got Robert Shaw as the sort of the grisly sea captain. You've got Roy Scheider as the, the uh, he's not the mayor, is he? He's the he's, uh, police he's chief, a, isn't he? The sheriff. Police or chief, yeah. yeah. And Richard Dreyfus is the uh, the sort of the expert. He's the shark doctor. Yeah, the shark doctor. Yeah. Um, I think in the book there is a relationship between Richard Dreyfus's character and Roy Scheider's wife. Yes. Um, Whereas that is not translated into the film. I believe they, there was a scene that they cut. Um, yeah. But, but it, 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 I think that was to the film's detriment because I think that that would have added an extra degree of tension, particularly toward yeah. the end when it was only the three of them in the boat. Mm. And in the book, um, Roy Scheider's character doesn't know for sure that the other guy has had an affair with his wife, but he suspects mm. it. And that adds to the tension between the three of them. Um, and also... And it's got, got the great music. Um, oh, yeah. John Williams, fantastic music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think... I, th- I always think Line of Duty has great music. The sort of the piano that comes in when you know that things are either... Com- either the episode's going to finish or there's something going to happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, music can add a huge amount to one's enjoyment in watching something and and it's the music you know if you've just got a camera sort of moving through water not a lot scary about that but when you've got that double bass sort of going in the background then you know it becomes scary yeah and yeah fantastic and and it's very clever watching i saw a, a, a documentary a retrospective look at the making of jaws and and knowing how accidental most of its success was that that that, that it was by chance it was as good as it was because originally they were planning, they had a mechanical shark. You're going to see the shark all the time mm. and it kept breaking down, it kept failing and, and Spielberg had to come up with ways around that because they could never get the shark to work and he came up with the idea of filming from the shark's perspective going after people, mm. which of course made it far more chilling, the fact you didn't see Absolutely. the shark very often. Um, Seeing all those legs in the water you know you know something's going to happen don't you yeah 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 and the way the way it's the, the way the camera's swimming like closer to them and and yeah you just yeah it's it's absolutely terrifying um mm. a couple of years ago the um the the westminster lodge sh- uh, showed the film as a special um thing where you could watch it whilst in the swimming pool they they showed it in the swimming pool um and you could and i was thinking i could imagine nothing more terrifying than watching that in a swimming pool you imagine that in a big rubber ring and you know you've got your feet dangling in the water and then suddenly there's a, you'd give your feet would be right up wouldn't they I suppose yes um, but you yeah I don't know it's, I'm, I'm sort of taking it too literally but you wouldn't expect a shark to be in a swimming pool would you let's be honest no no but 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 nonetheless I think I think there'd be just something a bit mm. surreal about that experience quite literally immersive oh yeah 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 very much so um, but uh, but yeah yeah great uh, a great great film there and um, yeah it's it it was was it what is it people were afraid to go what, there was a, a tagline wasn't it was it on the second movie that's something about what just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, and, and yeah, it was something like th- that. this one movie that 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 terrified a, 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 a planet. Um, you know, it made them scared of water, scared of sharks, who, by and large, aren't actually that dangerous to humans. You know, there are shark attacks, but they don't happen that often. And and yeah, it, it's They're an endangered um, species. Well, arguably because well, many of, jaws, of them are anyway. Apparently, the great white shark is 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 now pretty much endangered because of jaws, mm. because people kind mm. of think, oh, they're fair game. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, there, there's been a few sequels as well of, of definitely of diminishing returns. Um, and interestingly, you cannot buy a box set of all of the films of Jaws because Spielberg won't allow this film to be in any box sets of, of Jaws. He okay. doesn't want it associated with the other ones. Mm. So you could buy a box set of two, three and four, but you cannot, you, you have to buy Jaws separately, um, which, which is interesting. But, but yeah, um, you know, a classic film. And from he was, I think Spielberg was only in his twenties when he made this film. I think it was his second movie, and and you know what a what a classic film he he, he came up with um, mm. while doing this. But that's uh, that's Jaws, eleven oh five p.m. on ITV. If you've never seen it before, then do watch it. Um, but even if you have, watch it again because it is quite good. So my movie uh, is on uh, midnight uh, on BBC One uh, on on Saturday night. Well, that's technically Sunday, but it's from 1973 and it's Westworld. So, have you seen this one? Yeah, not for ages. I didn't notice this was on actually. Mm. So I wouldn't have chosen it, but. <laughs> because I don't think I'd have still gone for Jaws, but it is good. Yeah. So uh, this was from two years before, 1973. And um, at a huge theme park, guests can act out their fantasies in the company of lifelike robots. However, one tourist is left fighting for survival after the mechanoids begin to malfunction and a sinister, seemingly unstoppable gunslinger sets its sights on killing him. A sci-fi thriller starring Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin and James Brolin. And... um, if that in any way sounds somewhat familiar, um, there was there was something that I had read some years ago that had compared uh, this film to uh, Jurassic Park, but I think without realising the other connections between between it, because this this film was written and directed by Michael Crichton, who wrote mm. the book Jurassic yeah. Park, and um, yeah, you know, and both films are about um, theme parks where the exhibits start killing people. But, but with this, it's it's um, human, you know, lifelike androids, and um, yeah, it's 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 quite chilling in places. It's a good sci-fi thriller, and um, it, you know, g- great performance by um, Yul Brynner, who, who's sort of reprising an older character, I guess, that he had portrayed because he was known for doing his, um, you know, his his westerns, you know, and. and, and thinking in particular of like the magnificent seven and uh, and and there's something of that that imagery that's brought back where he's there playing this mysterious um gunslinger who i don't think has any dialogue at all but i can't remember now if he does he doesn't say he much. does he he i remember he looks incredibly um uh what's the word yeah emotionless yeah um it, it throughout and it it yeah, there is something very chilling just about the sight of him. Um, yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, apparently, this is the first film to use computer digitised images um, as well, uh, because there were some shots from the gunslinger's um, point of view. And, um, and, and yeah, you know, back in those days, that wasn't exactly easy to pull off. No. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's Westworld. Um, and, and then there was a sequel. Um, a couple of years later, there was Future World, which um, uh, which which came out, which again had Yul Brynner in it, um, playing playing a gunslinger. That one was with um, Peter Fonda and Blythe Banner, um, but uh, it wasn't as good as as the first one. And um, and then more recently, there's been a TV series, hasn't there? 
um, yeah. Westworld, which which has been very critically acclaimed, and builds upon this in some way. It does do some sort of throwbacks to 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 this. So it's all set in part of the same um, same sort of fictional universe. But anyway, that's Westworld, which is on uh, midnight uh, on BBC One. So let's move then to Sunday, the 18th of April, 5.45pm on E4. And you have chosen, yeah, another undeniable classic. Uh, and it is Greece. Yeah, back in the 70s, uh, John Travolta was absolutely at the top of the tree. He was the biggest movie star in the world. He'd... Um, he, actually, because he no, he was he wasn't. Uh, it, Saturday Night Fever was his um, big sort of standout thing from from that immediately before Greece. Um, he didn't actually sing in that. That was the Bee Gees, wasn't it? But yeah. um, but this turned him into a, a a pop chart hit as well when he doubled up with Olivia Newton John to sing various things. Um, it had already been a Broadway hit, but this made it into one of the best musicals uh, Hollywood had ever done uh, it, it, it's a strange sort of thing I suppose it was the same sort of era as Happy Days so 1950s America was all the all the rage and um, so you had all these sort of fairly middle aged looking blokes they weren't middle aged I suppose but they, they certainly didn't look like teenagers and they were supposed to be um, playing the high school kids at Rydell High School and um yeah, I mean, great music, great dancing. I mean, John Travolta is a, is, is a terrific dancer and he's not a bad singer either. Stockard Channing is there as well before she became um, the first lady to Martin Sheen uh, in the West Wing. She was uh, one of the, she was the sort of the bad girl of the of the teenage girls in this. And uh, yeah, terrific performance. She's very odd ending, very surreal ending. Um, which probably owed itself owed as much to the stage show as as anything else, I think. But um, yeah, slightly bizarre ending. Spawned a sequel um, with um, uh, I forgot who was in it now. Uh, Michelle it? Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer and and the bloke out of Dynasty wasn't he in Dynasty or Oh Falk yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Maxwell Caulfield, who was in Casualty for a while as well. Yeah, English actor, but did stuff in a, in America. Um, yeah, which is nowhere near as good. But this was great. Yeah, well worth watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe as well, I'm trying to find a list of, of, of said songs, but I believe that some of the biggest songs from the movie weren't in the musical. Were, that's right, they weren't in the stage show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly I, I found a thing that says here that apparently um, the, um, the song Hopelessly Devoted to You was actually recorded and 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 um, performed after the movie had finished, um, sort of the principal photography, um, because uh, her contract, Livy Newton John's contract, stipulated that she should have a solo song, um, and so they, they they knocked the song together, um, and that uh, they they just basically wrote a scene to fit it in. They weren't really sure about it, but the, but they did it in the end. Um, and uh, it was the only Oscar nomination that the film received was for that song. 
All right. Yes, that's true. You're the one that I want was uh, also not in the stage show. Yeah. As well. I believe that those songs have subsequently been put into the stage show because I imagine people would feel somewhat disappointed if their favourite songs yeah. weren't weren't in there anymore. Um, but but yes, uh, the original didn't have um, it didn't have a couple of the songs that become very well known. Um, and the, the Frankie Valley um, theme song as well, "Grease Is the Word," wasn't wasn't uh, there originally. Right. That that was put in. But uh, but yeah. Um, it was interesting as well because it, like you said there, that the, the actors were all well, at least mid to late twenties playing high school teenagers. Mm. But but I think because of the whole way, it's is, it is sort of sort of a fantasy. So I think you sort of forget that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, you you can you can suspend disbelief because it is a it's a magical musical. I mean, it for a while it says it was the third highest grossing film of all time. After really? yeah, after Jaws, which was Jaws yesterday, which was the second highest grossing film of all time, behind Star Wars at the time. So those were the top three movies for a while, and and this was the biggest movie of the year it came out, 1978. So yeah, an undeniable classic there from Simon. That's Greece, at 5:45 p.m. on E4, Sunday the 18th of April. Now there is a a really really tenuous link here from that film to this film that I've just chosen because the other week I watched for the very first time the 70s horror Carrie and um, not seen it before um, but always thought I should watch that at some point and Carrie was also set in high school and also had actors that were probably a good 10 years older than the the characters they were portraying you know um, so again you know actors in their mid to late 20s playing teenagers Mm. Um, and and in Carrie, there's one bit where two of the characters are watching a movie. And the movie they are watching in Carrie is the film I'm choosing next. So yeah. as links go, that is incredibly tenuous from one to the next. But the film they are watching in the background at one point in, in, in Carrie, two of the teenagers are watching the Western Duel at Diablo. And um, it, it, a little bit of it came up on the screen in the movie. And, and you see the name of an actor. And so I was curious to think, oh, well, it, you know, that looked like that was an actual film rather than they just mocked something up. Mm-hmm. And yes, it was. It was an actual Western from the 60s um, with uh, James Garner and Sidney Poitier. And the story is a frontier scout takes on the dangerous task of leading a wagon train through hostile territory to the safety of a cavalry fort. He believes the man who murdered his wife is in hiding at their destination and hopes to get revenge. But as he learns the truth about her death, he must also defend the travellers against Apache renegades. And I read somewhere else when I was um, doing some research for this uh, show, which, you know, we try not to show it, but sometimes a little bit of thought goes in, that apparently this is one of Martin Scorsese's all-time favourite movies. So, you know, that's got got to count for something. But, um, uh, yeah, it's... And also apparently it's incredibly unusual that, that given that this movie came out in 1966 and starred Sidney Poitier, that there's no reference whatsoever to skip Sidney Poitier's skin colour. You know, at a time where if he was playing a character that would, a lead character that would often be, there'd be something kind of racial in the, um, in the plot. But apparently there's no mm. reference to it whatsoever, um, right. which, which uh, is quite unusual. But, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, Martin Scorsese quotes it as one of his favourite films and the opening credit scene and a brief snippet uh, of the score of the movie turned up in Brian De Palma's Carrie. 
and it was James Garner's first Western since he left Maverick in 1960. So, uh, um, and, and Sidney Poitier's first Western. I don't know if he did many others. But, and this would have been uh, a year before um, the, the, the In the Heat of the Night. What, what year was it again? This is 1966. Yeah, it, it, yeah, a little before it. I don't know quite exactly when. In the Heat of the Night was 1967, as was Guess Who's Coming go. to Dinner. So it's about a year before then. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this is this is like one of those films that we sometimes pick. We always say, haven't watched it, but, you know, mm. considering watching yeah, it. Yeah, I've not heard of it. No, no, I, I'd not I'd not come across it before. But, but yeah, like I said, from having seen it being featured in the film Carrie. In fact, I, it did get me wondering, I, I wonder how many other movies there are that are featured in other movies. Yeah, you know, it's possibly not that big a list. I shouldn't think so. Yeah, you know, where um, actors were watching another movie or or, or, or something like that. Um, I mean, there is there is a bit in um, in Dirty Harry where he's chasing a suspect and he runs or he walks past the front of a, a cinema and the cinema is showing the film Play Misty for me. Um, which, which, but that's almost like a blink and you miss it. So you don't actually see the film, but you just see see the the banner above the cinema. Um, you know, the, the lettering above the cinema. I side. mean, there will be. There obviously will be some because people go in. I was thinking initially of people watching stuff on TV, but that's that's one of the weird things about people. People on television never watch television, um, you know. So in EastEnders or Coronation Street or something like that, they're never sitting down watching TV in the evening. No, um, but people do go to the cinema, um, and you know you see people in the. In, in films and on TV sitting in the cinema eating their popcorn and the bloke trying to put his arm around the girl and all that sort of stuff um, so that that is a trope that you see and so presumably although you may not you may hear the film rather than see the film yeah I think often you don't you don't know what the film is or it's a made up film or, or, or you only you know you hear sounds but you don't really hear anything identifiable um, but 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 there are exceptions. Um, in the film Zodiac, you know the, um, the the film about the the serial killer in San Francisco that that was based upon the um, serial, the fictional serial killer from uh, Dirty Harry. That that one was based upon the real life. In 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 that film, it was he was the Scorpio killer, but in real life, it was based on the, the Zodiac killer. And there's a scene where they come out of the premiere of the film Dirty Harry because. The, the, the detectives, I think, go to watch it because they're, you know, all embroiled in this real life thing, and and apparently it's quite a, a meta moment because the cinema that they they filmed it in was the cinema that did show the premiere of Dirty Harry, and also was the cinema where they um, had the premiere of of Zodiac. So the audience in the cinema watching that scene in the cinema was sat in the room where they could see. Um, so apparently it's quite a surreal moment for, for the audience there mm. um, but uh, anyways there, there's, there, there is a, uh, a website that you can go to at, which lists loads of them oh okay uh, interestingly well not really interestingly but I'm not sure I recognise either the film in the film or the film right um, with lots of them um, yeah okay so um, maybe it's not such a impressive thing but yes there is you can you can google it if you want to okay yeah 
All right, well, there you go. But that's a Duel at Diablo, a Western from 1966 with James Garner and Sidney Poitier, a Sunday the 18th of April, 6.50pm on Sony Movies Action. And Elsa, that film's on several times a week, and it seems to be on most weeks. So um, if, if people miss it, then I'm sure they could catch it another time. Then we move on to Monday the 19th of April, and you've picked another Western, but a far more famous Western, uh, 9pm on the Paramount Network, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Uh, and just before I, I talk about that, a um, little quick pop quiz for you. Who starred as Danny, uh, John Travolta's character, in the first West End production of uh, Grease? Well, I don't know about the first one, but I know that Craig McLaughlin from Neighbours was a Danny, and so was Shane he Ritchie. Was. So that was the second one. And Shane Ritchie did as well. Shane Ritchie, no, Shane Ritchie was Kanicki. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. In that, in the in the Craig McLaughlin one, Debbie Gibson was Sandy. Right. Okay. But no, in the previous one, yeah. in London, what, none of the what era? Other, what era would it have been? Nice seventy-three. Oh. None of the other actors have got Wikipedia pages, apart from the one who played Danny, Robert Lindsay. Richard Gere. Was it really? Okay. Oh, there you go. That was the uh, yeah the third, uh, the third production. Chicago 71, Broadway 72. Barry Bostwick was Danny in okay. Broadway 72. He was the guy from and the then, Rocky Horror Picture Show, wasn't he? he was, yeah, he, and then Richard Gere in uh, 73. Ah. Anyway, sorry, that was uh, that's what I've been looking at all the time you've been talking about that other film. <laughs> um, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Yeah, yeah Sergio Leone's um, Dollars trilogy, and this is the concluding part, the, the third, therefore of the trilogy and um, uh, yeah it says there's nothing particularly new about a plot line involving buried treasure but that's partly the point as he's paying homage to the Hollywood Western while revising its cherished traditions the story's deceptive simplicity allows the only to interweave strands of communal and individual drama which he throws into shocking release against the bloody futility of the American Civil War the genre has never witnessed such stylized violence yet while Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach unflinchingly accept it Clint Eastwood can spare some humanity for a dying soldier obviously there's Ennio Morricone's score which is wonderful and um, apparently this was this proved to be the benchmark for spaghetti westerns until he outdid himself with Once Upon a Time in the West two years later so this was from 1966 yeah um and and yes, so this is the final one of his his what was called his dollars trilogy because there was a fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more. Um, but it's believed by people, although I'm not sure if it's ever been confirmed officially. But it's believed that this is actually set um, before the other two because you see Clint Eastwood's character um, it's basically dressed differently, and then as the movie goes on, he acquires the hat that he then wore in the other two movies and he acquires the poncho that he wore in the other two movies and and so it, it it's felt that that this might well have been a prequel but it's never explicitly said but there are there are fans who who um who believe that um and then yeah it was you know it was a, an absolute classic and i believe that um uh it, he um, Sergio Leone was then wanting Clint Eastwood in his follow-up Once Upon a Time in the West but um, Clint Eastwood didn't um, 
he, he didn't uh, he didn't want to take it up apparently he'd had enough of working in that particular way because it was in these were all filmed over in Spain with an international cast and apparently no one could really understand anything that anyone else was saying and it was all dubbed afterwards and they didn't mm. rec- the way that they'd make movies um, over there was very much that they didn't record the sound on set they just recorded the pictures and put all the sound on afterwards and and apparently what they had to do is they just had to wait for a gap when someone was talking and then just say their next line and they didn't really understand what was being said um, which which I imagine could take it take its toll on you if you're uh, you know yeah be a bit boring wouldn't it yeah yeah potentially um, uh, but uh, also because it was it was released as an Italian film uh, initially and I, I love the Italian name of it Il Buono Buono Il Bruto Il Cattivo <laughs> good. Um, which I presume means the good the bad and the ugly um, I think it's a bit unfair actually on um, Il Cattivo he's just not he's not that ugly yeah um, a bit harsh a little bit isn't it um, Eli Wallach am I right in thinking he only very recently died um, I don't know I've got a feeling he, uh, he no you're, you're not right he died in 2014 well, that's not that and it, he was 98 when he died 2014 yeah. is not that long ago well okay sorry I thought you meant like yeah, last yeah, year yeah, or no, something to be fair I did think it was more recent than that but uh, but yeah um, it's um, yeah did, uh, did, did, there was a, a fact about this that I read as well somewhere that apparently it was very difficult for them to film um, uh, film Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach together at the same time because of their height difference apparently there's like nine inches between them in height so it's very difficult to get them both in the same frame um, so so they, they, they struggled with that but uh uh, I, I was I was listening to I think it was a podcast and 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 someone was being uh, um, an actress was being interviewed about a part she played quite, and I can't remember now who the actress was or the part she played but um, she had quite a famous co-star who was very tall and she said that all the time they would find like boxes and things to stand her on to do so they could put them in the same shot and she had to wear these like almighty heels and things like that to mm. make her appear to be nearer his height but then she said that people always picked up on the fact that when when they did like a wider shot you could see a massive difference in their height or if she was then running after somebody it was a cop thing i think that that suddenly she had flat shoes on not not massive heels that she had on a moment earlier and and she said that she she said at the time to the director well do you not think the audience will notice these sorts of things that suddenly i'm a lot taller and then i'm shorter again and they went nah no one will notice but people did um, but anyway, the good, the bad, and the ugly—a classic western. Um, out of interest, have you seen Once Upon a Time in the West? I don't think so. No, no, I'm not sure I have either. But but I have heard that it's arguably better. Um, that that you know it is considered a, a, a you know a, a, a classic as well, which is pretty good. If 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 you know you, you knock out a film that's considered an all-time classic western, then two years later you arguably do one better. Beat it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, that's 9pm on the Paramount Network um, on Monday the 19th of uh, of April. Now, my next film, it, it's arguable whether or not this one really is a classic or not in the same sense. I, I, th- I think this comes down a level now. Um, mm. But a very good British movie. Um, but from 1990, I've picked uh, on uh, ITV4 at 9pm, The Craze. 
the the biopic of the infamous twin brothers who built up a criminal empire in the east end of London during the 1960s. Seizing territory from an already established rival by force, they quickly rose to prominence in the city's gangland culture. However, over time, the brothers began to clash while enemies stood ready to bring them down, starring Gary and Martin Kemp, Billy Whitelaw and Tom Bell. And one of the... Well, there were two things that stood out uh, in my memory of this movie what one was the the, the acting of of billy whitelaw as their mum um who who you know I, th- I thought it was a very very good sort of central performance you know and, and the way that she sort of held things together was, was was admirable and she was quite this formidable character but the other thing that really stood out to me was um the the the, the actors playing the craze because they weren't really actors they were pop stars from spandau ballet and, and I suppose they were, yeah. yeah and, and, and you know, there they were, and they were very convincing. They they they, they really did um, do very well as 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 leading men in their first movie, and um, you know, they they you you, I thought they were very scary and intimidating um, as uh, as as the Cray twins. Do, do you have you seen this movie? Do you have memories of it? Uh, I I don't think I have. I, uh, the um... I, when I think of the craze, I always think of the Piranha Brothers in Monty Python, um, Doug, Doug and Dinsdale Piranha, um, who, um, you know, they did all these awful things, but they sent their mother flowers. It was it was a satire on on the way that the media treated um, the craze as, you know, lovable rogues, whereas the reality was that they were horrible. Yeah, vicious psychopaths, but but yeah, yeah, kind to their mums. Um, yeah exactly yeah yeah and there, there's some really brutal scenes in this as well some some real sort of gut-wrenching um brutal moments mm. in it um they don't shy away from that side of 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 the craze um hives and yeah it i think there's a danger that some of these films can somewhat glamorize the um uh you know the the, the, the portrayal of 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 their um, anti-heroes uh, mm. and, and it's something I, I don't I don't like that I don't like it when they they sort of romanticize it somewhat they make it look like it's it's all you know that these guys weren't really that bad when the reality is is that there are plenty of families who, who grieve the loss of loved ones at the hands of of, of characters like this um, but there seemed to me as well to be around about this time a, a slew of movies that were British films that were set in the 60s featuring um, real life things. You had The Craze. There was, um, was it called Scandal? The film about the perfumer affair. Yeah. Which was around about the same time. Yeah. And there was uh, Buster, the Phil Collins movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, Buster was, that was criticised quite heavily because it did make them out to be um, yeah, lovable rogues again, you know. Whereas, in fact, they stove in the head of the driver. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they sort of glossed over that quite, quite. Um, yeah, right, severely. But yeah, the, yeah. So there was a, there was what within a couple of years there were three big movies that were all British films that were all set, sort of, you know, were all set around um, real life things from the from the nineteen sixties. Um, and and yeah, this this is. I think up there among the best of those. You know, I think all, all three films were quite critically acclaimed, um, and yeah, so it is. It is hard watching. It is very, um, very uh, violent in places, and and you know, you, you have to. But if 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 
you're happy with that um, and you're interested in, in something of the history of, of these in, infamous East End um, gang lords, then the craze is for you. But there have been a few adaptations of, of their story. Uh, more recently, Tom Hardy played both twins, didn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, in, in a movie as well. Um, and and there have been other um, cheaper adaptations, but but certainly this one is 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 probably considered to be the original one, mm. Um, mm. and that's uh, yeah the craze. Nine PM on ITV Four. So we move to Tuesday, the twentieth of April, and yeah, you've picked another five star classic movie. Um, I think so. Yeah, eleven oh five PM on Five Star. Uh, it is the film Main Man. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman plays um, an autistic man who is joined by his brother who he didn't really know because he'd been I think institutionalized and uh, Tom Cruise plays the, 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 the brother the sort of the smooth fast talking wheeler dealer who has been cut out of his father's will um, and they take off on a road trip to California in an old Buick I think this was probably before we were as clued up about autism uh, as as we are now maybe and so this was quite a striking thing because uh, Dustin Hoffman plays this sort of savant uh, autistic man uh, so they you know throw a box of matches on the floor and he immediately sees how many there are and uh, they go to Vegas and count he counts cards. He doesn't count cards because he doesn't need to count them or something. Can't quite remember the ins and outs of all of that. But the relationship between the two is fantastic. Um, Dustin Hoffman won an Oscar. Tom Cruise's part was not as flashy, although his character is quite flashy, but the part isn't such a sort of standout part. But he's very good. And it won an Oscar uh, for Barry Levinson. And uh, it also won Best Picture as well it did it for the producer it, whoever it was it did sort of four of of the big the big oscars it won it won best picture best director best writing and best actor um yeah but but yeah rather rather cruelly uh yeah overlooked tom cruise in all of that who you know and, and yeah all the attention was on on dustin hoffman's wonderful portrayal of the of this autistic yeah. character um and and rightly so you know he he, he really um you know, played that part with with such sort of depth and sincerity, and 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 that whole movie, I think, helped to shine a light on on autism. I don't think people would have really known what it was before this film came mm. out. And and mm. I remember watching a feature about it on Blue Peter, um, and I think Blue Peter had on it Dustin Hoffman, and and I think it was as the film premiere was coming out. And then I, I seem to recall them showing like a, a a film where Dustin Hoffman met this young. British kid with autism who drew the Houses of Parliament from memory and he had exactly the right number of windows in the building and 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 Dustin Hoffman had said I think he said that he might have met with this kid before filming mm. or met a kid like him to try to mm. understand mm. And, and help him to influence his, his, his portrayal but I remember a documentary about that and I mean there was a kid that you would you'd say a year or a date you know, back in the past, and he'd say immediately what day of the week it was. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, and, and at the time, this was sort of astonishing. Nobody knew. Well, I say nobody knew. I mean, it wasn't as 
popularly known then as it is now i suppose yeah yes i think i think there is more awareness now and certainly this yeah before this film i i I imagine that 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 there wasn't much at all um but yeah very worthy film Uh, uh, wonderfully wonderfully filmed and shot and and uh, some great uh, performances in there, and yeah, I think Tom Cruise's his acting was any other time perhaps would have been highlighted more so. But sadly for him, maybe there was someone alongside him who was who was you know even better, um, and 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 that's yeah, but that's that's the way it goes, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, um, Rain Man, eleven oh five pm on five star. Now, my next choice is arguably another five star film. Um, and I'm curious to see your reaction to this because you like, you very much like some of this director's other work, but I, I'm not sure I can recall you talking about this film before or not. But also on Tuesday, 9pm over on Film 4, we have the 1989 sci-fi thriller The Abyss by James Cameron. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that sort of... It's okay, but it's not sort of... No Terminator. Uh, I wouldn't. It's no Terminator Two, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just basically go down a submarine and meet ghoulies down in a crack in the ocean shore, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they should have got you to write the poster, really, shouldn't they? Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, but yes, it's <laughs> yeah. It's a, 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 an American nuclear submarine is sunk after a collision with a mysterious object, and the U.S. government asks oil workers to help with the rescue. However, when they and a Navy SEAL team arrive at the location of the vessel, a series of strange incidents leads to an encounter with aliens living in the depths. James Cameron's sci-fi thriller starring Ed Harris, Michael Bean, who was also in um, Terminator, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, well, he was John Connor, wasn't he? No, he was the guy... Who, who was the guy in Terminator who comes back? Who helps... Oh, that's... Um... Yes, it's not John Connor, but I can't think who it is now. You've 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 thrown me. I wasn't I wasn't my mind wasn't in Terminator mode. Um, I can't think what his name is. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, well, anyway, it it was it was him. It was him. Um, yeah, and and also he was in Aliens, which is another James Cameron film. Uh, okay. Michael Bean. He did. He he seemed to be a favourite of his. Um, but uh, but yeah um, uh, yeah uh, you know this this is beautifully shot that you know that the, the film really is 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 wonderfully um you know the the, the special effects the the underwater footage it, it is it is breathtaking um and uh kyle reese there you go yeah so michael bean played kyle reese in the first terminator film um, yeah yeah he was the first person to say come with me if you want to live yeah there you go um, and yeah and, and, and this is arguably one of um, James Cameron's best underwater movies you know it's obviously you know, when it comes to water it's sort of this Titanic or Piranha 2 The Spawning you know it's his, his three um, three movies that he's, he's done that involve water um, but, uh, but yeah he, he, apparently he sometimes leaves off Piranha Part 2 off of his CV but I feel it's our duty to sort of you know put that back on there wherever we can Anyway, um, yeah, but but the great movie. I remember in particular there were these effects where they had this special thing where they could how they breathed underwater. They, the um, helmets that they had filled with some sort of like oxygen gel type thing, which they like had to let let 
the liquid in and then it made you breathe and it looked like something that's pure science fiction but but i seem to recall watching some documentary that was probably on the dvd of the movie saying that this actually isn't as far-fetched as, as, as one would think and it's a way that they think that they might be able to allow humans to breathe very deep underwater um, where a conventional oxygen tank wouldn't be able to survive the pressures right. does sound a bit like magical thinking but still i'll take your word well for apparently it. it's how how babies breathe in the womb that they they um okay yeah I, I, I don't know I, I really don't know what i'm talking about but i remember certainly in the movie there's these great because clearly people can't really do that but there was this great way where you saw them taking the masks off and all this sort of stuff pouring out and then then coughing it up and they're explaining mm. how the first time you, you do it that way it, it feels like you're drowning because you're you're letting the water all this water type stuff go into your lungs but it it helps mm. you breathe Okay. Anyway, nonetheless, that was uh, the film The Abyss, 9pm on Filmfall, Tuesday the 20th of April. We move on to Wednesday the 21st of April, and I'm not entirely sure now if five of these films are quite in the same calibre as, as... No, no, ones. they're not. They're not. I mean, the first one is... Well, they're both good, otherwise, obviously, I wouldn't have chosen them, but um, they're not classics in the way that the first five were. Okay. Well, so, so the one that you've chosen... Um, on Wednesday the 21st of April 9pm on the channel 47 it's the film First Man yeah, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong and Claire Foy uh, British Claire Foy plays his wife Janet and it is uh, it's, it, it's I mean he's an astral obviously he was the first uh, man on the moon but it's it's more than that it's actually sort of going behind all of that and looking at the effect on family, etc., etc., um, and I think it's yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, Claire Foy's part, uh, her, her character is is not, you know, being the wife of an astronaut is not a sort of great part, but uh, it, she's really good in it, and their relationship is, works really well. And yeah, so I think it's a fascinating uh, di- display um, of uh, of acting between them playing this husband and wife uh, the husband doing something remarkable but the wife being very much earthbound and having to watch when she sees on telly her husband uh, thousands of miles away I'm hesitating when I say thousands of miles away because I can't quite remember how far the moon is but is it thousands of miles away? I'm not entirely sure I know space is not as far away as you think I think space is only like 60 miles away and yet it's the final frontier yeah um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's quite a long way away, and it's up in the air, so it's scary. So, um, yeah. Anyway, it's good. Um, yeah, the, the moon is 238,856 miles away. There you go. So it's thousands of miles away, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you wouldn't have been inaccurate on that. Uh, undoubtedly, producer Sam from the main podcast would be horrified that we didn't know offhand how far away that was because space yeah. space is her field. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, according to the family, um, uh, the real-life family of Neil Armstrong, the, the, they were very happy uh, with the portrayal of their mum and dad. And they felt it was the most accurate portrayal of their parents that, 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 that has been committed to film. Good. Yeah, yeah. 
There's a great story about Neil Armstrong. Um, Steve Wright uh, from Radio 1 interviewed him in the 80s on his Radio 1 show. And apparently um, the, uh, the, 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 the sort of publicist that came with Neil Armstrong um, popped his head into the studio or popped her head in the studio and said to Steve Wright, said, oh, Neil Armstrong's just in the green room. He'll be, he'll be coming through in the moment, uh, coming through in the moment. And he's looking forward to the interview. By the way, no questions about the moon. And then went off again. And, and he said how to make sort of a, like 10 minutes of radio airtime with, with the first man on the moon when you're not allowed to ask him questions about the moon. He said was, and, and he had the rest of that, that record playing out to which, which I think he said was, was the police walking on the moon um, to, to then um, come up with other questions to ask Neil Armstrong. He, he was there to promote a specific thing. And yeah, he, he, he did not want to take questions. I mean, he moon. is, I think he is um, a complicated man let's say and and um yeah ryan gosling plays him quite sort of quite well yeah yeah it says in my notes uncomfortable in the spotlight which is quite tricky really when he becomes the first man to walk on the moon yeah and it does seem a bit weird to to then not allow questions about the one thing that you're famous for but but yeah nonetheless it's still quite a funny story um Oh, absolutely. Anyway, yeah. First Man is on uh, Wednesday, the 21st of April, 9pm on 4-7. My next choice uh, for Wednesday, uh, this is moving to Wednesday morning, 10.30am over on Talking Pictures TV. And from 1986, it's the British comedy Clockwise. A headmaster obsessed with punctuality catches the wrong train en route to a convention where he is due to make an important speech. A simple mistake that turns the entire journey into a frantic race against the clock. A comedy starring John Cleese, Alison Stedman, Stephen Moore, Penelope Wilton and Joan Hickson. And I saw this film in the cinema when it came out in the 80s. And I don't recall I've ever seen it since. But um, it it's okay if you don't mind John Cleese basically being Basil Fawlty in everything but name, mm. It, it, mm. it is essentially, you know, an hour and a half of him being Basil Fawlty and getting irate about different things that are delaying him from getting to the place that he needs to get to. But if you don't mind that, and if you're a big fan of John Cleese, in particular his work on Fawlty Towers, then then I think that, that you'd enjoy it. And it's the sort of film, I don't think I've seen it listed on TV for a while. So I'm not sure how familiar no. people would be with it. I got because the clockwork is also on t- on TV this week, um, and I was slightly confused. I was thinking that was the um, the John Cleese film, but obviously it's not. Do you mean what Clockwork Orange? No, no, isn't there a film Clockwork? Uh, I've just done a quick search. Oh, there's one. No, from the... perhaps not. Uh, uh, there is a film from 2007 called Clockwork. Who's in that? Uh, no one I've ever heard of. Okay, perhaps I've imagined it then. Forget that. This this film, it, it, clockwise, is I think is for, forever known by uh, many people. I think particularly football supporters. Um, from the the line, it, it's it's not the despair that gets you; it's the hope. Uh, it, it's this idea of this tantalising hope that that. You, you will get there you will win um, and that's far worse than the despair at knowing that don't know that you definitely won't <laughs> you know so a, a, a team that is um, uh, on the on the edge of relegation or on the edge of promotion uh, has this sort of hope um, that, that is then sort of 
um, challenged or you know or, or sort of uh, quashed in some way whereas if you know that you're bottom and you've been bottom for ages I mean I'm like I mean, I know we're moving on to a, 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 the sports podcast here, but if you're the the, the manager of, say, Sheffield United, uh, sorry, if you're a supporter, Sheffield United have been bottom of the league for ages and have been almost certain to go down for ages, you're not going to be too uh, desperate because you've known for ages that this is what's going to happen. Whereas if you're, say, uh, the, the, a supporter of West Brom who've won their last two matches you would be thinking, oh, well, maybe we'll get out of it, you know. And 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 then when they don't, you'll be gutted. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, there's that line in the film, it's not the despair, or words to the effect that it's not the despair that gets you, it's the hope. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> no, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting uh, premise and you can sort of relate to it, even if perhaps it hasn't been put into words for you before. Yes, the sporting thing may not be sort of... Yeah, know. no, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the um, uh, yeah the, the movie it, it it is. I don't I don't even know how much effort they went to to try to make him not look like John, uh, not look like Basil Fawlty really. Um, so you know, it, it is a different character, but but he is doing largely Basil Fawlty esque things yeah. all the way through the movie. Um, but it's quite good. This is what a couple of years before a fish called Wanda, um, uh, but uh, and it isn't as good as that. But um, but but you know, not not a bad the time to spend a Wednesday morning if you're looking for a, a comedy movie that you don't have to think about too much that's um, that's clockwise uh, Wednesday it's not the despair Laura I can take the despair it's the hope I can't stand <laughs> there you go uh, clock- great night yeah 10.30am Talking Pictures TV Wednesday the 21st of April so the final day for the film guide for another week uh, is Thursday the 22nd of April and Simon has chosen a film that is quite frankly inferior to my choice but we'll let you do it Um, 9pm on ITV4 Role Models Uh, yeah Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott are both uh, energy drink salesmen who crash their truck and are sentenced to 150 hours of community service and what they have to do is mentor disenfranchised youngsters uh, uh, Scott's uh, the one that he's got a uh, mentor is a streetwise kid called Ronnie and um, Paul Rudd's relationship is with a fantasy obsessed nerd um, Augie played by Christopher Mintz Platts Christopher Mintz Plass. That's not easy to say, no. is it? Very easy to get that. Sounds like something you could order it was from McLovin from in Gre- Superbad. From Greg's, doesn't it? I'll have I'll have yeah. a Mintz Plats, please. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I think it's is it LARPing, live action role play. Okay. Um, that's what they go in for, and the. There's a lovely relationship between the two and how initially Paul Rudd's character sort of thinks it's just a load of old rubbish, but eventually he uh, gets to support him and be the parent maybe that he deserves. Um, It's rather touching, really. And I'm I'm shocked and not a little disappointed that you're saying that it's um, not of high quality. Well, the thing is, you set the bar so high on your other choices that... that well, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness, I've not seen the film. It's just... <laughs> but both of those lead actors are actors that I normally would avoid in a movie. I was thinking, oh. Paul Rudd's great. You not like Paul Rudd? Well, 
you see, see here lies the rub because, or the rud even, because um, everything I've seen him in, I've actually quite enjoyed. But there's something about it that I always think, oh, I don't really want to, oh, not Paul Rudd. He's a bit bland, isn't he? He's, he's a guy who... Ha- he is a bit smug. There's something smug about yeah, him. Yeah, and he's, I heard him described once as, a, as an actor who hangs around funny people. As a, you know, that it's, you know, some of the things I've seen him that's, in. That's, that is harsh. Yeah, well... That is harsh. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's quite funny himself. He's deadpan, but he's, yeah. he's dry. Yeah. Ken Young's in it. Okay. He's, he's funny. Um, and Sean William I Scott, think... I've always found a little bit... Obnoxious, except that, that sometimes I've seen him in things that I thought actually even bad either. So I sort of feel bad for saying this, and maybe I should give both of them mm. another chance. Elizabeth Banks, okay. Jane Lynch. Yeah, oh yeah, Jane Lynch is very good. Um, okay, well I'll, maybe I'll give this film another chance. Perhaps I'll put it on my list. Um, Role models that is from Simon. Mm. ITV4, 9 p.m. on Thursday, the 22nd of April. My final film for the week, continuing with this theme of five-star movies, you cannot get mm. more five stars than Escape from New York. Oh, <laughs> I saw this and I thought, I might choose this just out of spite. <laughs> then I thought, no, I won't. I'll let you choose it. It's a great Because I knew you it's would. It's a great film. 11, yeah, it's okay. 11.50pm, Thursday the 22nd of April, over on Film 4. A former Special Forces soldier, Snake Plissken, is... There you go. He's called Snake Plissken. That's five stars right there. That's a name. Yeah. Okay. Are you just going to cut and paste your previous, you know, reviews of this into this <laughs> slot? Because, <laughs> you know... I've mentioned it so many times. Anyway, he's sentenced to life on Manhattan Island, an anarchic penal colony for the most dangerous criminals. Um, So this is set in the future, although the the year it's set in, I think, is is long since passed. I think it was set in the sometime in the mid to late 90s I think was the setting of this movie which came out in 1981 um, but and, and it's when basically Manhattan Island is now a, a, a prison and they just put up walls around it and you know let, let the prisoners run riot inside um, but the problem is that's all well and good until Air Force One is hijacked and crashes in there and then uh, Snake Plissken is coerced into rescuing the US president from prisoners holding him hostage um, so that they put some sort of device on him that will blow up if he's not back in 48 hours or something like that. Or, or if he doesn't do as he's told, they'll push a button and blow him up. And uh, and so he's made to go in and rescue the uh, the, the president. But this is, um, uh, it's, it's Kurt, uh, Kurt Russell starring in it. It's a John Carpenter sci-fi action adventure. And it's it's a, it's got some great hallmarks of John Carpenter's work because it's quite low budget and it's... It's gl- it's a, like gloriously a B movie. Um, the, the, the way the way that it is done, that the, the everything about it, but but it it works really well. It it's like he doesn't need a big budget to make this work. Um, you know that they set it at night, so it doesn't have to look too futuristic because everything's dark. And that you know it's all set in this in this rundown island that that is effectively a prison now. So they, it doesn't even need to look particularly modern in any way. And uh, and yet yeah, it's Kurt Russell, Donald Pleasance is the um, uh, he's the president. Uh, Lee Van Cleef is the head of the president's secret service or something like that, and he's the one who who sends um, Kurt Russell on the mission. And then you've got Adrian Barbeau in there, and Isaac Hayes as well. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's great. It's very um, very trashy, but but I think mm-hmm. it's it, you know intentionally so. And it, 
it feels like it's a graphic novel and, and I'm sure that subsequently it's been made into one but but, mm, but this is yeah. original material uh, and it's it's just great it's very uh, iconic there's lots of lots of things about it that, that you know um, like, like I say not only is he called Snake Pliskin he has a patch over one eye but you don't know why you know there's no like there's nothing there's no backstory as to why he has to wear a patch you know and 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 it's um you know there's just something about it his character it, it's almost like he is a little bit like Clint Eastwood's man with no name but but in a in a futuristic setting you know he's, except he's got a name that would be one major difference obviously <laughs> <laughs> and it's a name that you're going to remember. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Snake Pliskin. But, but his, mm. his, his, the way that his, his character uses, he's got very. Uh, it's mysterious, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, a, a very small amount of dialogue. Not much dialogue, which is one of the things with Clint Eastwood's character. He, he didn't say much. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is well worth watching. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite dark. It has overtones of some other films of that era like um, there was a film was it The Warriors yeah um, where the, well, they had to get from one side of New York to the yeah, other yeah at night and there's all these dangers around every corner there was an element of that in this as well and, and from a very similar era as well I think mm-hmm. this would be maybe what around about the same time as The Warriors I think maybe a year or so later um, it spawned a sequel sometime later as well which is okay but not as good uh, but but this this is great if if if, if if you like your sort of cheap sci-fi action adventure, then you cannot find a better film than this. Escape from New York, uh, Thursday the 22nd of April, 11.50pm on Film 4. And that concludes another week of films on the Film Guide. So, mm. Simon, same question every week at this time, but what, mm. which one would be your film of the week? Well, I think it ought to be role models, really. No, I'm not going to make it role models, because... That would just be out of devilment. I think Rain Man. I haven't seen Rain Man for ages, so I think Rain Man would be my film of the week. Okay. Um, I think... I'm pretty sure I've picked Escape from New York before. I've picked in the line of fire. I think almost certainly, I think I've picked in the line of fire before as well. Um, I am Mm. going to go with... Westworld, I think. That's okay, going to be my yeah. film of the week. Um, I'll, I'll let you have that Thank one. you. Um, yeah, so uh, if you want to see the films that we've just selected, then uh, look in the description of our podcast, um, well, of this episode right now, and you'll see the list of films there. They're also on our website, sonormanspodcast.com. Simon, you're back on Sunday with, Indeed, with the yes. um, Dacker Street Baptist Church virtual service. Yep. Can you give us any mm. sort of insight into what that's going to include? I've got a bit of journey. Um uh, going to be hearing and um, also it will be possibly the last of the the major Easter services that we'll be doing okay mm. right so uh, yeah there you go that's the Dagger Street Baptist Church virtual service which comes out on Sunday mornings and you can find that where you found this one as well or, or get all the subscription details for this and all the other podcasts at um, stalbanspodcast.com uh, Simon thanks very much and uh, you're very welcome we'll catch you about the same time next week take care okie doke